CBA is a place for everyone, doubters and believers alike, to discuss theology, current events, and a rediscovery of radical hope. Find us on Facebook at Doubters forward slash Believers Alliance and on Instagram at Doubters Believers. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another day service of Doubters Believers Alliance. Um, sorry, we're a little late. Um, winter has officially started <laughs> here in Minnesota. Um, got a little bit of snow last night, you know, a little late in the season. Uh, but the roads were pretty, pretty good, the main roads, but some of the side streets were less than ideal so it took us a little bit longer you know always be safe than sorry so sorry we're like five ten minutes late from what we normally do but we're here nonetheless at bryant lake bowl um weren't wasn't here live last week as i had said but uh i have a talk up last week um from called we do not understand um as always please leave any comments um here on the comment screen i guess scrolling and amanda will help me answer them later so yeah um just some other things uh comments before i kind of get into my talk um last week i had said you know we found out that my brother-in-law had passed away and i kind of gave a plea a lot to have people support him by giving will support his family because they want to help pay their house off because that's a huge expense and some updated news and numbers is the house has about three hundred thousand dollars is what it's worth for the mortgage and if i'm not mistaken they're pretty darn close to hitting two hundred thousand dollars which is absolutely incredible um i know that means a lot to amanda and to everyone else is something is it crooked okay um and not just to Amanda, but to me and to Josh's widow and family and all those that know him. Um, this is just an incredible amount of generosity. And like I said, it's not even a church thing. It's it's a community thing. And it's so incredible, uh, the niceness and kindness and generosity that our people are doing. So if you're interested, go back to my talk last week. Um, to donate if you can the link is in there and all the money none of the money is going to the church it's a church that sent it up set it up but none of the money is going to the church or anything it's literally going to straight to the mortgage company to pay their mortgage off and we've talked here a lot about community 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 and that's community that's you know not even just a christian community it's just community nonetheless some other um, notes, uh, we're not going to, now that we're into the month of December, sorry, I feel like I have bad posture, I'm like huddling over <laughs> with this, um, we're not going to have service on December 26th, it's the Sunday right after Christmas, we're not going to have service here, obviously, um, it's usually a little, little thing that people might not know, most pastors take that Sunday off because it's Advent and all that. We're not doing Advent, obviously, but it's just kind of like everyone's usually on vacation and all that stuff. And it's one of those Sundays where I was just thinking, I'm like, you know, I want to have the week off. I knew I had two weeks off back in November, but, you know, days are short. Sun doesn't come out as much. You kind of get depressed a little bit. And I just want to relax and be with my family around that time. So no, no service on December 26th. Um, also, also, I want to shout this out. I posted this on Instagram, on my stories, and then on Facebook Reel. Um, my friend Josh McKay, who was friends with Revolution Community, um, he had he's in a number of bands, but during the pandemic, he, him and a friend started this electronic duo called OFT. Um, right now their music's up on Bandcamp. It's free. I mean, you can buy that. You can stream it for free, but you can buy it for like a dollar. Um, they're called OFT. Don't know what it means or what the acronym is, but it's just really cool electronic drum synths, you know, drum machines, all that stuff. Um, 
and I asked him via Twitter um, if he would be interested in doing some intro music. And I know Caleb, if you when you listen to this, Caleb is going to have the outro music because usually our talks are pretty heavy and deep, whether for Sacred Collective, DBA, you know, intro. Um, so Caleb's going to be the outro music. And I asked um, Josh if he could do like an intro, <clears throat> excuse me, like an intro for like 30 to 45 seconds. And he said yes. So we're going to have probably within the next few months um, some electronic music there. And I'm doing that because I want to network with people. I want to show people's music. Um, granted, we don't have a stage, or we have a stage, but we don't have musicians. But we're going to have some cool music for that. Um, I will say with my friend Scotty, I can't say it yet because it's not official, but we have a collaboration we're going to do probably next spring that I'll let you guys know. That'll be up on Sacred Collective. Uh, it's not solidified yet. I know I'm teasing this, but uh, it's going to be pretty pretty epic of what we're going to do. The other thing that I can say we haven't we've all agreed on it, but we have not confirmed when it is. But myself, Scotty, who Dr. Scotty Williams, who's over in Switzerland, who spoke here back in July, and my f- uh, friend, but also my doctoral advisor, master's teacher and my undergrad teacher tim dr tim setapetaratna we are going to do a day long probably on a saturday when i say day long probably just an afternoon um zoom class because i have a zoom account um on the it's going to be called the great church decline why people are leaving and not coming back um i want to charge a little bit maybe five or ten dollars because we still have you know we're going to be taking our time researching and coming up with stuff so that class is going to be coming up in spring i call it a class i obviously it's not for credit or anything like that but if you kind of want to get more than just an hour conversation about why the church is declining obviously i'm going to be tim and i are going to be talking about it in the american context and scotty's going to be talking about it in the swiss and european context since he's been over in Europe for over over a decade now. So that's happening in probably I would say probably April if not May. So that's all what's happening. So almost 10 minutes of news and notes. Well, I just feel like I'm at church cuz that's usually what they say in the morning instead of prayer requests it's just news and all that. Anyway, <clears throat> so the name of this talk is Deconstruction and Tillich. Um, and people, I looked back the other day of all the talks that I've done, and a lot of them obviously have to do with deconstruction. A lot of them have to do with reformulating, reimagining things. And part of me is like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that's kind of too, um, too much. But then I kind of sit back as I'm like, I'm going to talk about what I know and I'm going to talk about what I'm passionate about. And I feel like a lot of all of you who, whether listen, who are here live or who listen, you know, on Facebook stream or who listen to it when it comes out on the podcast, I feel like a lot of us, not all, are uh, in, in some sort of deconstruction. Um, and the question I have why deconstruction? Why is it important? Um, what is this thing we call deconstruction? And this isn't going to be a, a history lesson of of deconstruction, but uh, I've really been influenced by the writings of this philosopher. He's an American philosopher still alive. His name's Mark C. Taylor. Um, maybe Amanda sometime could look him up on Wikipedia and just put put his name Mark C. Taylor. Middle name is C. Um, excuse me, still alive, but he's a postmodern thinker, uh, and he was actually friends with uh, the French philosopher Jacques Derrida. Um, this Mark C. Taylor is still alive. He's, I think he's in his 70s or 80s. Anyway, um, I just read, I'm reading his book called Airing, E-R-R-I-N-G, um, 
the book was the book came out in 1984, which is a hot minute. 37 years ago is the year after I was born, and it was about postmodern theology. It's 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 not just about postmodern theology, philosophy, all that stuff, but it's really about um, this whole form of deconstruction. And he he it's near and dear to his heart because his good friend Jacques Derrida um, kind of was the father of this deconstruction and. I'm not going to give like the Webster's dictionary or whatever, because even with deconstruction, it's, it's different to other things. There's deconstruction within architecture, deconstruction within like philosophy, deconstruction with political situations or, or, uh, you know, capitalism. And so, you know, there's de- you can deconstruct all this, but he specifically is writing on deconstruction, not just in the philosophical form, but in how we understand theology and how we understand God, and on all that. So pretty much deconstruction, what I'm going to say is breaking down constructs, breaking down theological norms, breaking down uh, doctrines, policies that hinder not just you and me, but all of us from having a true authentic understanding of God or to the divine. And the one thing he said what what Mark C. Taylor said, airing, E-R-R-I-N-G, and he, he used it in, I think it was the Greek or Latin, is literally means to wander. And he's like, when you look at deconstruction, it's literally kind of wandering. You're wandering. It's like nomadic thought. You don't have a home per se. And, you know, when people are like, well, I'm Calvinist or I'm Arminian and or I'm, you know, a process theologian, those are more easily to define because it sits in this camp or this camp or this little this thought might be more conservative or this thought might be more theological but within deconstruction there's no there is no like there's a starting point but really there's no ending point you know you and I, and people are I've heard a ton of people say oh a deconstruction is just this hip new thing that's that you know former evangelicals are doing and no it's not but deconstruction has been around since like the 70s or 80s but i think now more and more people are understanding what deconstruction is and the 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 need to do it so i would recommend reading that book by mark c taylor but as someone who has two seminary degrees his book is tough as hell (laughs) to get through using words that i know but these chapters are like 10 15 pages and it's taken me like an hour or more to get through it just because they're so thick, so rich with theological and philosophical language that I'm like, wait, what did he say? Okay, I got to go back. And I'm one of those nerds now that is going back with like a highlighter and highlighting things of of whatever. And I will say, though, if you do read it, um, he has a harsh critique on, um, on humanistic atheism and atheism in general. Uh, because deconstruction, the point of deconstruction is de- to deconstruct anything, everything and anything to tear down constructs and ideologies that that hinder us. And he kind of more or less says atheism hinders us just like Christianity, fundamentalist Christianity can hinder us because you're in a camp that says yes, no, where deconstruction kind of thought process is this wandering, this this unknowable um thing and it's just to be comfortable i would say he's not saying that it's nihilistic but there's i don't know i would say there's some smattering and flavors of nihilistic thought in there i don't know if it's nihilistic or nihilistic but we're gonna go with it um but i'm gonna talk more about deconstruction not in the philosophical sense um because i feel like i'm more of a theologian and a pastor than I am a philosopher, even though I like philosophy. It's my background's in pastoral and theological world. So I'm going to talk more about deconstruction and what does it mean for us today. And I know I've talked about it, like where have people gone, why are people coming to church? This is going to be a little bit more um, in-depth talk and more kind of personal things from stories and people that I've talked to. Um, but I labeled the talk deconstruction and Tillich because I'm going to have a t- uh, quote by Tillich here that I found that is kind of encompasses 
what I think exvangelicals are doing, and not just exvangelicals, but people who have just left Christianity for whatever reason. So the quote here that Tillich says is, God wasn't dead, but old concepts of God were. Moreover, the language used to talk about God no longer meant anything. What we needed were new concepts and new language. That's a pretty famous uh, Tillich quote. Um, If you want to know more about Tillich, obviously go back to our good friend Jay Baker. He's talked a lot about Tillich. I, I read a lot on Tillich, maybe not as much as Jay, but Tillich was a very smart, brilliant dude. I think that quote was, Tillich was one of those people who talked a lot about God, the God is dead movement um, and all that. And in the movement of the God is dead movement, you know, a lot of people who say that they're radical theologians like Pete Rollins and others, they're not, Tillich's not saying that God is dead, but what he's saying is why God, why that kind of theological understanding why they said God is dead and what they mean by God is dead is the kind of way we've understood God, the way we've talked about God for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, that version and the understanding of God is dead. They're not, they're not asserting or claiming that God as this deity or force, whatever, or spiritual entity is dead. They're more referring to it as the concepts and the understanding of God that has been perpetuated by evangelicalism, mainline Christianity, so on and so forth. Those views of God are dead, and the reason they're dead is because we killed it, because our understanding of God and and th- the doctrines we use and build up about God and church are therefore outdated, unwarranted, unneeded. So that's why. So Because when I first heard about God is dead theology and that understanding in seminary, I was like, when I was a little bit more conservative, I was like, what? How did you say that you can kill God and da-da-da? And I was, whatever. And by the time I got into my doctoral work and started reading works by Tillich and others who talked about God as kind of that God is dead and read more about like Pete Rollins and stuff, it kind of opened up my mind to be like, oh, they're not saying God is really dead. They're just saying versions and understandings and language this linguistic game, those are what's dead. That is what um, they're getting at to there. Um, what, why do we, and I've had people talk to me before numerous times, family, um, especially family, um, my mom, my brother, not outing them, but we've had these good conversations, and not just them, but close friends, of saying, well, who gives you the right, Brian, to say these things who gives you the right to to uh say that god shouldn't be talked about this way or we shouldn't use certain language or certain terms and i said well no one's given me it's not that no one's given me the right but no one's not not told me i can't do that and that's the thing with i think what we struggle with in christianity is we feel like we always have to ask per, for permission to ask questions, to doubt, to wrestle. And and I think that's something that the kind of church puts up. I mean, I know in the tradition I was raised in the Assemblies of God, you know, ad nauseum they would tell you, don't doubt, don't doubt, don't doubt. Because when you start doubting, you leave this, like, foothold for the devil to get in to tear down your faith and whatever and your spirituality. Well, really, that's a, that's a, a manipulation that the church does where they're like, oh, well, if you doubt, and then you start asking these questions, and you know we can't really answer these questions, then you're going to find the need not to come to church. You're going to find the need uh, just just to kind of punt it away. And maybe that's true. But what I have found out and why I've deconstructed is because the version of Jesus and God and the church— and the scripture, and I always want to pivot this, not by my parents, because my parents, for the conservativeness they were, were very open-minded, um, always telling me to ask questions, obey authority, but question authority, if that makes sense. Um, they never said to sign on the dotted line of a political party, 
just vote your gut, vote your heart. You know, so, you know, and even with sexuality, they were like, you know, if you do these things with, you know, a significant other, just make sure you're smart, you're protected, you know, things like that. So my parents were very open-minded and, and I would say, albeit in progressive in, in parenting. But when it comes to my church that I was raised in, it was very, um, very skewed towards the way that the church wanted. I mean, I was raised saying, oh, well, like, unless you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, this, you know, ask the sinner's prayer, then you're going to burn in hell, which, hot take, that's not in the Bible. My church would always tell me, oh, uh, we, you know, we got to go knock door to door and tell people about Jesus. We had this thing called Twin Cities Outreach where people kept, we would go in mass groups of people all around the cities and knock on people's doors and ask them if they want to learn about Jesus and get saved, which is so cringy now that I look at it and, and I think about it. And we're not asking people, hey, do you want food? Can we bring you coffee? You know, we're having, you know, a carnival on the front lawn, bring your kids or whatever. It was always like Jesus, 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 because that was their whole thing. And, you know, the church would always talk about, you know, inviting our neighbor in. And as I've said numerous times, our neighbor is anyone but our, that's not ourselves. And I remember asking my family, you know, why, don't, why aren't my gay neighbors here? Why aren't my African-American and Hispanic neighbors? Why aren't, like, the prostitutes and, and the strippers and the sex workers, why aren't they here? I was asking these questions at 12 or 13 years old. I've told you I, I was a very odd child uh, growing up. This is where my mind was. And so that led to, if I'm honest with myself, even as, like, a teenager, I'm almost 40 now, but even as a teenager... I had these questions that the church could not answer, that the pastors could not answer, that that the leaders in the church couldn't answer. And so then I thought when I got to college, my my professors were going to answer them. And then when they didn't, and when they were kind of more or less like, hey, well, just listen or, or just just kind of don't not obey, but like stop asking questions. Then instead of being like, oh, OK. It was like in my head something went off like, okay, they're not answering my questions because they don't know how to answer my questions. Or they don't want to get in trouble for saying certain things. And then I get to seminary. As I said, I went to a conservative seminary for both my master's and doctorate. And they were a little bit more open-minded because they weren't Pentecostal. But it was still like – I remember in my master's um, years when I was doing my master's um, – I after class, I just got so moved when we talked about universalism in one of our theological classes uh, of being um, a Christian universalist, um, which literally means that no one's going to go to hell. Everyone will be ultimately saved or using that. I hate that cringy language, but that every, no one will go to hell and everyone will be um, in heaven, whatever heaven is. And I remember saying that to a number of people in the class. And for the next week, Scotty... Um, was doing damage control for me because people were like, what? Brian says that he's a Christian universalist. He can't be that, da-da-da. And Scotty was like, actually, he can because if you look through Christian history and Christian theology, there was that was actually the more prevalent um, view that people had. You look at your early Christian fathers like um, uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, I think, Gregory of Nyssa. You had uh, Origen. Um, they all believed in a form of Christian universalism. C.S. Lewis, that a lot of people don't know about this, C.S. Lewis was a universalist. And before his untimely death, Karl Barth was actually kind of writing about, uh, like, religious pluralism, was writing about universalism, dealing with studying, like, Buddhism and stuff like that before Barth did. And this was in, like, the 50s and 60s. So there was there was a lot of people talking about this kind of stuff and then i've just went on further and further because this unsatiable desire for me to keep learning to open my mind and i've always said hey if you can prove to me why i need to believe in a view and you can show me facts and you can show me the research and it makes sense to me i will believe it but i'll use obviously my critical engagement my my critical thought um and, and 
And that's what I did. And why I deconstructed away a lot away from the church and the language that the church uses, the, the theology and kind of philosophy that a lot of Christianity uses is because it's exactly what Tillich said was these views and language of God just do not make sense anymore. Uh, they're outdated. They're, they're wrong. And case in point with how language changes, um, there's words growing up that we said that are not appropriate. They were never appropriate to say, but they're even more inappropriate to say now because the culture has woken up and said, hey, this isn't cool. Um, one of them I'll just say is gay. You know, gay back in the 40s and 50s meant happy. That's in the dictionary. And I remember even growing up as a kid going into junior high or high school saying, oh, that's so gay, that's so gay. And now that word never comes out of my mouth because in our culture that word means so many negative things and hurtful things to the queer community. So most people are like, hey, this word we used decades ago and it was in our lexicon and it worked but over time we've seen that that words like many other words you just can't say anymore they're not appropriate so this if we we as human beings not even as christians but if we as human beings can say hey guess what maybe we shouldn't use this kind of language why is it so difficult when it comes to church and our language about church, our language about God, our language about all of this stuff, why is it so hard to push back on that? Why is it so hard to say, hey, this understanding about God, this understanding about theology, maybe we should maybe switch some of our language. Maybe we should should not do this kind of stuff. And I will say I was really influenced as a teenager and a young adult with the emerging church movement. Um, and just look it up. Uh, you know, we don't. I don't. Amanda doesn't have to put it in the notes, but it was from like the mid to late nineties, and I would say probably up until like the mid aughts to late aughts. Uh, it was people who are still wanting to be quote unquote in church, evangelical churches predominantly, or starting other things. That this kind of movement came out of church because like emerging is something that was like stagnant or there, and then. It's coming out like it, it emerges. Just think of a flower. It like emerges from a bulb to this beautiful flower. And even within this emerging, things change. Things change where like you might have met in a church, but sitting in pews, you're, you're sitting in chairs. Instead of having crosses and Christian flags and the American flag there, you might have nothing on the stage but a person like sitting on a bar stool like this. Or you might have candles. You might have incense. You might have iconography you might um not have worship music you, you know things are you know just just different in how they did church but what changed with that is the the forms and functions of church changed but th you, you heard words like gathering replace church uh you heard the divine replace god you heard um spirituality replace faith you 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 heard things like higher power replace god and i'm not saying that these things are bad but we we it was kind of taking what tillich said and i love this quote by tillich as he was like and this fits so much into deconstruction when people are like oh deconstruction deconstruction because sometimes i look back and i'm like i don't think we always understand what deconstruction is it's like that hip hop hip hop hip word that we use to hop around of whatever we want to believe in and it's fine but what what i think tilk is so right on there is god's dead because we killed this concept of god because the god i feel like most people believe in people who are watching people who come here people who listen the god that we believe in is not the god that we were shown in church are, are, we've evolved. We've emerged from that that thinking. So, and I've said to people in this this a little philosophical, and I've said to family, the God you worship, the Jesus you worship, isn't the same Jesus I worship. 
And they're like, oh, what, do you, what does that mean? Are you, what, what? I said, no, it's because we have different understandings, different interpretations of who God is to you. You say that you believe in a God that will send people who don't quote unquote believe in Christianity or Jesus the same way as you, that you're going to, that this deity is going to send them to hell. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe that God will send somebody to hell for that or for whatever. And so and I said, but I still believe in Jesus. So I was like, your version and concept and construct of Jesus, I don't believe in that. However, I still believe in Jesus, but I believe in this different version. And I think a lot of us who have left evangelicalism kind of have this new form of faith. I was at a party yesterday where a lot of people were brought up in Christianity, whether Catholic or evangelical and or or not even Christians at all. And people were just going over at the table and just doing tarot cards and, and like reading reading your 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 tarot. And I did not feel weird about it. Like 10, 15 years ago, I'd be like, ooh, Satan's coming in here and these demonic spirits are happening. But it was just fun. I liked the cards. They were very artistically, you know, aesthetically pleasing. And it, it was because things are different now. Like I know people who are like, I'm a Christian and I'm a witch. Um, I'm a Christian and I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Christian like myself and an agnostic. And we're living in a culture and in a world now where our thought process is emerging. We're not stagnant. We're not like, I'm a Baptist and Baptist alone. Or I'm, you know, a Presbyterian and a Presbyterian alone. If you, you talk to most people, they'll be like, oh, I'm a Presbyterian, but I'm really influenced by, you know, atheistic thought. Or uh, I am a Christian, but I also dabble in, you know, Eastern religion or Eastern mythology. But that is what deconstruction in a positive way can do. It can show us to open our eyes to versions and constructs of God that are problematic, that are hurtful. And for me, it's there's times where I feel very uh, sad, if not depressed, because I can't share my true feelings with my my personal family or extended. Amanda, I love her with all my heart, and sometimes I will say these theological or philosophical treaties that are in my mind, and I can just look at her and be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but she appreciates it. She is like kind of like, you do you, and we've had really good talks about it. Um, and one thing, Amanda, that you've always said, putting you on the hot seat here is she's like, I've never, I didn't marry you because of your faith or because of your religion. I married you because of you, right? You said that. And I would say that to anybody in a relationship, if you are in a relationship with someone and the only reason they're friends with you is because, oh, you're a Christian or you don't drink or smoke or do whatever, are they really your friends or are they toxic people? Maybe you need to deconstruct your friendship. Maybe you need to look at it and say, why are you accepting me for who I am? And, and that's another reason is judgmentalism. I mean, I could go on all day. I'm not. But the legalism, the, the judgmentalism, the hypocrisy that the church throws out, that theology throws out. But the, before I pivot into more of like church-church stuff— uh, what Tillich said is so, so true, and we're seeing it happen before our eyes, especially in the American church context. Views, understanding, constructs, long-held constructs about God, about church, about Christianity are falling by the wayside. People are coming out of their shells. People are coming out of their uh, the, the religious abuse and, and trauma that they experience and are like, hey, they've heard enough people, maybe me, other people who are out there and they're part of the internet saying, hey, it's okay to talk about this. Hey, it's okay to deconstruct. Hey, it's okay to to mix things together. And I think now you're seeing that we're ripe with that within the church of people being like, hey, you say that you're a Christian and you love Jesus and you love people in the community, but you're not a gay affirming church. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And so they leave. Or like you say that there's a hell, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't jive with the theology that that 
that I hold to. And so often in the church, the church is like, oh, well, you don't agree with our theology, then you're wrong. And instead of people just saying, oh, I love my church, but I can't really be myself, then those people just end up leaving and creating uh, spiritual communities on their own. So language, constructs of God, which that encompasses theology, philosophy, the ecclesiological whole thing, which is a fancy word for the church, that's all under the microscope, it's all under the radar, and it has been for a hot minute, and it will continue to see that and do that. It's also like a segue into coming to our class in the spring of the great church decline. But moving on to like into the church, why is the church most afraid of deconstruction? Why is the church, quote-unquote, afraid of reimagining what a faith community can look like. And this is my wheelhouse. I know like Jay will talk about grace and other things. This deconstruction and church decline, reimagining church, this is my wheelhouse. This is what I'm passionate about. My doctorate is in church leadership. My master's is in Christian thought. So both of these uh, ways of how I was taught is you know, my gears are spinning in my head. Why is the church so afraid? Well, first and foremost, it's going to hurt attendance. Let's be honest. Churches, most churches, I don't care if you're a Pentecostal or Baptist, a Catholic, Presbyterian, UCC, people in the pews, members in your pews, equal dollar signs. Now, no church is ever going to fully come out and say that. But let's be honest, I've been on ministry boards at churches, I've been in committees on churches, crying out loud I was in the ordination process. I've, I got to see the kind of like behind the veil of normal church, like if somebody just normally goes to church, gets what they want on a Sunday or Wednesday, and then they go home. I got to see the intimate behind the, the curtain kind of conversations and things that go on. And let me tell you, uh, people in the pews, people in the the butts in the pews mean money. That means to keep the lights on. That means to pay pastors. That means to uh, you know keep the heat on in the wintertime. That pays other employees, administrative assistants, the janitors, the cooks, if you have a church that has a cook. So that is why people are afraid to reimagine church or to talk about church. People are afraid... Um, because a lot of denominations are failing and dying, and they just don't know it. Mainline Christianity, with evangelicalism in America, look it up. Go to the Pew Research, go to Barna, go to all of these sites, and they will show you for the last five to ten years there's church decline in America. No, I'm not saying it's not it's not the war on church, it's not the war on Christianity. You watch certain political people, heads, you know, talking about it. Certain news programs talk about it. They'll say, oh, it's Christianity is being attacked. No, Christianity is not being attacked. You can worship Jesus, Allah, Buddha, you know, Hindu gods. You can worship the flying spaghetti monster. No one cares. You know, you don't even have to. You can be an atheist. You can be a witch. No one in America cares. So there's no attack on religion or spirituality in America. I can't speak outside of America, but come on, there's not an attack on it. But the church is so desperately afraid of talking about deconstruction because they don't want they they're afraid of losing members. They're afraid of that they might be wrong. That's a huge one. They're afraid that they might be wrong. And they're afraid, and I've said this numerous times, they're being afraid because they know that their control is going to wane, is waning. Because when you, that's what religion does so much, folks, is religion un, um, what's that? Religion that can't take itself with critiques. So like Christianity, if Christianity is critiqued and people cannot deal with the critique, then I, to me, I'm like, you can't take it seriously. If someone critiques me or rebukes me or is like, oh, that was wrong for what you said, I'm going to sit back and say, oh, maybe it was. I'm going to be self-reflective and self-aware. 
but so often the church isn't. Some churches are, some groups, some, you know, are way better than others, but so often it's this self-reflection or it's something that was brought up that they're just like, no. Case in point, I have a lot of friends still in the UCC, but one thing I said my last year or two before I left was, why do we do, why are our policies and procedures for ordination the way they are? And you know what? I constantly was told by numerous people, young and old, well, it's just what we do. It's just how it is. And I'm like, but why? And I wasn't trying to be divisive, but I was like legitimately answering, like asking, but why? Well, because, Brian. And that made me start thinking about when I was younger, where it was like, well, why do we view it this way? Well, it's just because. And that's the point where, like, I'm talking about why people are deconstructing, because even in mainline churches where they're like, hey, we're gay affirming. We, we don't care what you look like, what you do, just come to our church. And that's great. Kudos for mainline churches for doing that. But what's hurting the mainline churches is their theology is 21st century. But the way they do the methods and the pedagogy of how they do church, it's so old and so archaic and so dead that they're wondering, why aren't younger people coming in? Because it's meaningless to us. You don't do community. The younger generations, and anybody I would want you to correct me if I'm wrong, we crave community, but we're finding community outside of quote-unquote normal church communities. Hence, something like this. I'm meeting, I, I was at a party yesterday, the same one I told earlier, and people, like my friends, half sloshed out of their minds. Oh, Brian, Brian's a pastor. He does a church. And they're like, oh, kind of like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I lead a community out of a bar. What? You can do that? Yeah. I'm like, it's at a bowling alley and there's a bar and we meet in a theater. It's in the back. What? What place is that? I want to check it out. Bryant Lake Bowl. They're like, what do you talk about? And I'm like this. They're like, that's badass. That's awesome. And it's just like, but people have been doing this for a long time. This is nothing new, what I've done, or Jay, or countless other people. I can name at least 10, 15, I'm not, off the top of my head of ministries or organizations that do stuff like this. But the church, and, and, and I'll say this, when I was doing ordination stuff in the UCC, when I asked, they said, well, what do you feel called to? They're like, Brian, what do you feel called to do in ministry? And, which, first of all, I hate that language of called because I feel like, you're saying, oh, God, to, to do something in life, you have to be called to do it. No. If you feel passionate about doing something, just do it. I don't have to be called to, to serve the poor, to take care of the widow and the orphan and the poor. Just do it. Don't use this Christian language. Just do it. Go ahead and do it. Um, but what I said to them was, I want to be with my people. And they're like, well, what do you mean your people? I said, I want to be with the people who look like me, tatted up, listen to the same kind of music, have the same kind of theological background, um, ex-evangelicals, things like that. But I said, I want to do it in non-traditional ways. They're like, oh, okay, what's non-traditional to you? I want to do church in a bar. I want to do it um, in a coffee house. I want to be able to talk to people while having a beer in one hand and smoking a cigar or a pipe in the other hand. I want to be it where I don't have denominational overarch, where someone's like, oh, you can't, you know, you can't be critiquing us or you can't be critiquing, you know, progressive Christianity. And so when I came to them and said, I want to do this, they were like, oh, cool. But then you had other people, they were like, well, you don't want to be a parish pastor, which fancy language for you just don't want to be a pastor in a church. Or you don't want to be uh, uh, a chaplain, like in a hospital or nursing home or in a college. And I was like, no. They're like, and I kid you not, this person said to me, but that's what we have. That's like all we have to offer. Those are the only two tracks you can go down. And I was like, really? Those are the only two tracks. So even for a progressive denomination like the UCC, I stumped them by just asking a question of, I don't want to do church this way. I want to do the church the way I want to. And I've said, leaving a denominational track, an ordination track, 
it's so freeing for me. And I was at this party yesterday where there was a UCC student there from United Seminary, which is the big UCC seminary here in the cities. And she's like, oh, so you're a pastor and you're not ordained? And I was like, you don't have to be ordained to be a pastor. That's what I'm talking about, these constructs. I, I, and I'm almost allergic to that word now. Oh, uh, you're not ordained. You can't do this. Yeah, you can go. Anybody right now listening could go online right now for free or for a small fee and become an ordained minister or to be a cleric or to be whatever you want to be because the government does not fucking care. They don't. I want to, I've had two Pete, two couples that I've married. All that I went to is the um, American Ministries Association to get my credentials. I just file it in the county that I live in, and bam, thank you. I have a number. They, I have my John Hancock that I write. I bring it down to the Department of Vital Statistics or to the courthouse. Bam, it's done. People don't care, quote-unquote, going to First Baptist Church of wherever or... King of Kings Lutheran Church. I'm, I'm just making these up. I don't know if they're real church names, but probably they are because most churches suck at <laughs> naming themselves. The church has a huge problem because they're seeing before their eyes not just young people leaving the church, but even older people leaving the church. And I will say people think, oh, it's just the pandemic that did it. No, I think the pandemic fast-forwarded it a little bit, but this has been going on for a while. People realizing, I can get community without going to First Baptist Church. I don't have to dress my Sunday best. Um, I don't have to spend six hours at church on a Sunday. not saying it's wrong that you do, but people are waking up, and they're realizing the faults that the church has. And that, I will say that about any religion. Every There's no religion in the world that is without faults, that is without faulty thinking. And people are like, well, Brian, what gives you the right to stand up here and, and critique? I feel the reason I have the right to stand up here and critique it is because I've been in the church my whole life. My whole life. I have three degrees. I, I You know, yes, my job now isn't in the church, but I'm actively engaging with people who are. My, you should see my Twitter and my Instagram, the people who I follow and follow me. And what gives me the right to do it is I've lived it. I've went through it. And I see the horror stories and the trauma and the trigger that really bad Christianity does to people, what it did to me. But I'm one of those people that come out and will say, don't punt God out. If you want to punt God out, that's your prerogative, and I'm fine, and I'll walk you with it, you know, to that. But my goal is to say, hey, you know, God isn't as bad as we think God is. It's just you are shown very faulty, very horrid understandings and concepts about God. And we need to reformulate that we need to reconstruct it going back to Tillich these constructs of God the language of God that we were shown was really bad and now decades later after Tillich people are standing up and being like oh I'm looking at these words of Tillich and Kierkegaard and others and saying hey you know what the church needs to be better than it is, and we need to critique it. I think part of deconstruction is what we're doing, is we're hardcore critiquing the church. All of it. We're critiquing. We're like, what's good? What sticks? What doesn't stick? And Christians are so afraid of that. And and the proof and the point, um, I, there's a really big TikTok going around right now. Of, I forget the pastor's name, but he's a pretty big evangelical minister. And it's been shared to me a couple times where he was just preaching a week or two ago. And he's like, if you have, and I don't remember the quote 100%, but he's pretty much saying, if you have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, like it's really real, then you're not going to deconstruct because your faith is there. Your faith is pure. Your faith is strong. 
he's not understanding what deconstruction is. That 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 what he just said is why people are deconstructing. I've had former professors from college and seminary write literally. I had saw one this morning when I got up and checked my Facebook. A former New Testament professor. She's great, but she posted this quote by a minister who was didn't use the word deconstruction, but pretty much was saying, "Well, true community in the Christian sense is found in church." which means going, getting up on Sunday, going to said church, finding this community. And I just kind of shook my head. I'm like, you don't get why people are deconstructing. I got in a huge Facebook, not argument, but confrontation a few weeks back because this guy that I went to seminary with and actually high school with pretty much quoted someone or put a... uh, uh, what am I trying to say, put an article up that someone wrote, and pretty much this person who wrote it, who is a minister, was saying, oh, the reason people are deconstructing and not coming to church is because of the pandemic. And if it's not the pandemic, then maybe they were just nominal, not really believing Christians. And I was like, what? And I went on there, and I wasn't like a troll or anything, but I was like, hey, this is really misguided, really off base. It's someone who's deconstructed. And I had some guy that I never met who was friends with this pastor, and the first thing he wrote was, I clearly can tell you've been hurt. I clearly can tell you've been traumatized by the church. And I was kind of like, yeah, I have, but I'm also coming to you as someone who's an educated person and is saying, what you guys are saying is wrong. And it's like, that's why I get so passionate about it. The church, the evangelical court church, some of them are legitimately asking questions like, why are people deconstructing? And then when people like myself are like, this is why, they're like, no, no, that's just, that's not the reason. And it's like, well, what? Why aren't you listening to me then? You know, like, I'm not saying I'm the end all to end all, but here's someone who's going through, who went through it, and is saying, this is reasons why your control, your stranglehold on the truth, saying that your church or your denomination, your faith is the only one that can prove it. And if you don't accept it, then you're going to hell. The la- I mean, good Lord, we're in 2021, and if you're a church that isn't that, that's not gay-affirming, get over your theology and be affirming. If you're in your church and your church is like 95% white and you're in urban sector, maybe do something— within your theology or stuff to get people of color into your church. That's not that difficult. You know, you say you want to be more in community. Open your fucking church doors and have events. Have concerts. Have booyahs. Have have things that come in, or people that come in, events, speakers, do something. And it, it I get so worked up, and I get so passionate because... I, it, it's it's like someone's drowning, and they're wondering why they're drowning. Is they don't know how to swim, they don't have a life vest on, they don't know how to plug their nose, and they're just like, "Help me, help me!" And the church is supposed to be helping them. The church is supposed to be throwing these life vests and and things out, and and it's just not working. I don't know if that metaphor worked, but it just popped into my head. But I get so worked up because, and I get so exhausted and I get so tired because I have people that I care about who are still stuck in these forms of thinking. And I'm not saying to anybody that watches or who listens, I'm not trying to tear down your faith. I'm not trying to <clears throat> tell you to view it the way I do. I'm never that kind of person, nor will I ever be. But what I'm saying, and it's not just me, people are like, who gives you the right to say that? Well, look at what Tillich said. Look at, I'm going to bring up a Soren Kierkegaard quote like I did last week, but this is good. Countless theologians and philosophers and pastors before my time have said these things, but it feels like the church has kind of quashed that. And now you're having more young people, younger generations coming up and saying, we have no problem with this Jesus that you talk about, but what we have a problem is, is the judgmentalism, the legalism, the hypocrisy, uh, the lack of community, the lack of transparency, 
you, you the the overarching control you have and people are like i don't i don't need it i i don't need that i would rather do something different on my sunday and people have told me like don't you miss community that you're not in church i have community i have community with my family and my daughter and my wife I have community with my brother and his family and my mom, with my in-laws I have community with. I have community with you folks here at DBA and Sacred Collective. I have community with my friends when I hang out with them. But that is the thing that the church makes you second guess. They wouldn't say, oh, well, that's not community. That's this. Communities here in church, and that's what this quote that I read this morning from this old professor friend of mine. They were like, they were literally saying, the only kind of community that counts, or the community that Jesus talks about, can only be found in church, and that is so problematic because you're looking at everyone else who's part of communities. So, like, does that mean AA isn't community? Isn't that like any like drug rehab program that can be community, that can be life-giving, if not spiritual for people? But how many churches and ministry organizations would say, well, no, you have to come into our church? Last thing I'll say on that, I have an old college roommate who I'm not going to out him because I'm not that. <clears throat> we've went totally different theological tracks, totally different tracks of what we've done. And his church just wrapped up a 13-week talk on deconstruction. So some was a God church. But And I've listened a little bit of it here and there in snippets. And this just shows you how a lot of evangelical church, even mainline churches too, they're like, deconstruction. Uh, deconstruction means that we have to look at scriptures in different ways. Uh, we have to reformulate what this scripture means and it was like one story was <clears throat> and really what this guy was talking about was open theism if we know what open theism is like does god change his mind and he literally the the part in his sermon that he was talking about was like hey you know we're always taught this in the church that god did this and god's god god can never change because his god is blah 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 and he's like well look at god or the people in Israel prayed for God or to, for God to change his mind, and God did. See how we deconstructed that whatever? And I'm sitting back, I'm like, that, that's not deconstruction. That's not. That's you literally opening up the scripture and realizing, oh, maybe the interpretation that you were taught was wrong. You're talking about that it was deconstruction, but really what it was was hermeneutics. You were looking at hermeneutics, which hermeneutics literally is translated the art and science of interpretation. You're exegeting the scripture passage accurately. And and I watched it a couple other times and he was like, oh, in this this scripture and and in this is different. And it was like one of them was like, oh, how when people's preaching bars or when and when people aren't wearing suits and ties anymore, that's deconstruction. And I'm I'm just sitting back and I'm like is this what evangelicals think deconstruction is? Because if you do, you're so, so far off, and you're so wrong. So I will say this. Deconstruction, everyone does it. Everyone does it. The evangelical does it when they don't think he or she does it. Mainline churches do it. Even people who are atheists humanists spiritual spirituality witches pagans we all deconstruct because we've deconstructed to get to the point of where we're at and i will say to anybody deconstruction is good because it makes you put your thoughts your faith your ideologies under the microscope to say does this make sense is this edifying is 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 can it, this make me live my spirituality in a better way? And if it does, great. And I tell people all the time, if you deconstruct and that leads you to atheism, well, then it leads you to atheism. But I hope deconstruction will lead people into some form of reimagining, reconstruction of 
a better faith for you, whatever that faith is. And I'm going to leave you guys with a quote. I might say a thing or two on it, but this is by Soren Kierkegaard, who lived in, I think Amanda said last week, 1813 to like 1855, was not a very old man. He was very posh, bourgeois, um, Danish man. He was in Copenhagen. But he is known for huge critiques against Christian uh, Christianity, especially the Christianity in his context in Denmark. But he's, he's attributed to a lot of good quotes, but he says this one, the most common form of despair is not being who you are. That falls in line with deconstruction. The c- most common form of despair is not being your true authentic self. And doesn't that make sense? That is what a big thing within the deconstruction, I would say, movement that's happening within the church is people are like, I am not my authentic self in church. The way that I was raised in this theology, it I'm not living to my true authentic self. And me right now, why that quote resonated with me, right now and for the last number of months, I've told Amanda I'm, I'm so much more free in my faith. I'm so much more free in my thought process because I'm living into my authentic self. Um, I don't feel bad on a Saturday night before I get up and do this to have a couple beers. I don't feel bad if I want to go out with my friend and smoke a cigar or smoke a cigarette. I don't feel bad if I want to swear a little bit because I'm being my authentic self. Because how many of us, when we go in quote-unquote church, it's almost like we leave our authentic self at the door because we're like, well, what is the pastor going to say? Or what is Jim, Bob, and Sue over here going to say? So when we, and, and that I think that's what, Kierkegaard was getting at is when we go into church, when we live our lives, we're not living to our authentic self because we're afraid of what people are going to think and say about us. And so if you take these two quotes that I think Amanda put them up, that Tillich said about constructs about God that are dead or our understanding about certain concepts and constructs of God are dead and our language needs to change. And parlaying that into what Kierkegaard said of the ultimate form of despair is not being your true self. Deconstruct, and I'll leave you with this, deconstruct till you can find your true authentic self. Because when you do, everything else in your life is going to kind of line up and you're going to be a much more happy, content person and leave all that baggage behind you. That's all I have. I, I like this one. Is there any questions? Do we have any comments stro- scrolling in? Or Curtis or Amanda, do you have any? We're good? All right, everyone. Um, thank you for tuning in. Um, like I said, keep comments coming in if you have any. Um, they mean a lot. Um, this should be posted within a matter of time after this is off. And then this will probably come out. We're a couple weeks behind because of the holidays. So this talk will probably be up on the podcast in about two weeks. But um, as I always say, have a great Sunday or whatever day you're listening to this. um, And just be kind to one another. All right. Bye.